and welcome to this episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri and also the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves of Nam and Geelong where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded. Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today is the first conversation with a chef for 2024. I drove to Geelong on a sunny day at the start of January to talk to Eddie Bassish. We had a coffee at, P- at Pavilion Geelong and it was full summer carnival vibes. People were having picnics on the grassy slopes outside, the pool and the waterfront were packed and there's a cruise ship out in the bay. Eddie is a private chef with 37 years experience cooking in hotel and restaurant kitchens here and in the UK. What he loves most about being a chef is the opportunity to teach people about food, younger chefs, but also the diners. He delights in watching people's faces when they taste his food. We talked perfect pomme puree, how to correctly season, and the importance of family and where your family's from. Food, glorious food is one of Eddie's mantras, and that really came through as we spoke. As well as his private chef gigs, Eddie's looking forward to more media and networking opportunities, and he is all about sharing his love and knowledge of food and cooking. It's very um, yeah. summer carnival out there, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it is, you're not wrong. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Now I've been in town for a while, so yeah. well, the weather's been fantastic. No, it's been a crazy summer, hasn't it? It's been um, nuts, absolutely yeah. nuts. But now it's like it's all gone into overdrive. <laughs> I, I, well, I see there's a cruise liner in as well. Really summery. <laughs> yeah, well, we um, we moved to Port Melbourne in July from Abbotsford, um, yeah. and so now we can see the cruise ships out out the window. I've become like a train spotter for cruise ships. I'm just a bit like really fascinated. <laughs> I never thought I would be, but there you go. Yeah. Oh, they're they're amazing. I've never been. I've never been on. No. I'm not really planning on going. I, I always said if I ever did one, I'd do one of those European ones along the Danube. Yeah. I, I love to see, but yeah. So it's a bit more compact and personal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or um, the North Pole or something like that, one of those sort of things, but one of these sort of things, I've never really been interested. It's yeah. funny enough, I was looking at doing that many years ago, uh, so I was in Bendigo and I was looking at coming back to Melbourne, because I had daughters, anyway, they were little at the time, and I said, oh, right, I've got to get back, but then I thought, I need to do something, I want to do something else, because I nearly, before I started doing my apprenticeship, I nearly joined the Navy. Oh. I've always been about boats and, yeah. and, and travel. Oh, right. So boats, because my dad used to be a tuna fisherman in Port Lincoln. Yes. I was born in Port Lincoln, oh, South Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I've always loved boats and the ocean. And then I thought, what's a way of getting around, you know, and maybe getting paid? So when I was about 17, I went to Defence Force in St Kilda Road and had an interview. And uh, then they said... When you qualified, though, you well, when you finished your time, you weren't qualified. It's not you were a cook. Okay. So 
you know, I want to be a chef, not just cook. Yes. Okay. You know. So I, that's where I said no. So I thought, you know what, I'll just work hard, finish my apprenticeship, and eventually I'll get over and start travelling and do, yeah, yeah. doing what I want to do. So that, that's how, that's how, nearly, nearly. Then I thought, a cruise liner. Uh, I had the interview, it was on Skype, uh, it was for Royal Caribbean. Wow, yeah. Yeah, they were based in, based in Miami, yeah. and so Skype there, and then I got the executive chef of the whole group uh, doing an interview on the phone with me, and he threw a few things. How do you make this, or what a dream is, or whatever, and so on. And basically, I think I had to just do a medical eventually. It's one other thing, I can't remember what it was, but, and nearly got this wow. position. And then something came, came up in Melbourne, because I didn't really want to go away from the girls, but I wanted to, you know, it was, it was a sous chef, it was at my own cabin. Yeah, which, which was probably, you know, I like my privacy, my own cabin. Yeah, hard work didn't bother me. Well, like, you know. So anyway, it, it came close. Yeah. Back in, uh, 20, I think it was 2011. Yeah, all right, okay. Yeah, yeah. so quite it's, a few it's, years ago now. It sort of fascinates me, that idea of maybe working on a cruise ship or um, when I've spoken to chefs who work in hotels, like big hotels, and yeah, then they yeah, yeah. travel all the, around the world to different yes. hotels. It's, yeah. it's a different, it's obviously a really different life to working in a restaurant and, um, or, yeah. Well, it is, it is. Uh, it was like with me, working in big hotels. A lot of mine was working in big oh, hotels. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I started my apprenticeship, um, once I decided not to go into the Navy, uh, I got a position. I did work experience. Thank you very much. Excellent, thank you. I got a uh, position. No, I did work experience, sorry, through high school for a week at a place called Hotel Australia, which is uh, with Novotel on Collins's now okay, yep. in the city yep. and well, um, it was the old school five star hotel yep. you know, it was grand grand for a stay yeah. and you know kitchen and then the exec chef his name name Michael Sharp whether he's around or not anymore I don't know he, he took over he went from executive chef to group uh, not exec chef, but sort of like a, more of a manager role. Yeah. So looking after, setting up kitchens. Great, well groomed, lean man. But, it, but when I went in there, he had, uh, you know, the black jacket, embroidery. Oh, yeah, wow. The neck, yeah, neck chief, black pants. Yeah. And he was in the fishbowl. You know, so I could see everything yeah. going on. That's who I wanted to be. Yeah. And, and then eventually I, I, I got it. I, I, Went in there and you know the old school phones and rang up and you know and I finally got that position and started my apprenticeship with, with uh, it was called Hotel Australia with through a company called um, Taverns Victoria, which I think was taken over by a guy called Bruce Matheson who has the pokies. Okay. So, but basically it was. They had a five-star and a couple of those sort of hotels, but then they had all these sort of pubs. And that's where, that's where I sort of learnt the ropes. And then went from there back into the big hotel chains. One, one thing about those things is you can travel. Yeah. You know, it makes life a little, if you want to travel, it makes life a little easier. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with a very short time with the executive chef of what used to be um, the Regent, now Sofitel. 
uh, Wolfgang or something or other, big Austrian guy, and uh, he was a company man. So he went from when this turned into um, Sofitel, he said, Well, I don't, yeah, I'm sticking with, but he was a big hotel exec chef, that's what he yeah. Uh, and um, and he went to Berlin to, to work at the Regent in Berlin. Okay. So that so he followed that around. Quite yeah. a few chefs that I know are still in touch with that, that still sort of do that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's quite fascinating. Um, and did so? You, it sounds like at seventeen you, that's where you wanted to do your apprenticeship um, yeah. and to become a chef. So was that something that you threw out your like growing up? You always knew you wanted to be a chef. Um, I think. I think what, what happened was um, I wasn't a big fan of school and you probably say a lot, I'll say a lot of chefs probably weren't and uh, one thing as you said you were talking you know talk about um, the French side of things and I, I wish I'd stuck to that because yeah. I would have done a lot better in college but um, my 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 background is uh, I was born in Port Lincoln South Australia so I'm first generation Australian my mum is born in Serbia, but she's from a Slovak yeah. background. And my dad's old Yugoslavia. That, yeah. And dad, dad's Bosnia. And mum's side of the family, all great cooks. And I've watched my grandma, when she came to Australia to live with, grand, with my grandfather, uh, baking those strudels, you know, those poppy seed strudels you see in Ackman Street. Yeah. But these are bigger, you know, not like they, they look like they're... Yeah. No, no offence. I love those poppy seeds. Oh, I love them all too. But they used I mean, to do. Not the acting street ones. The ones that I had in Germany were so those those um, Mohnkuchen and things yeah, like that. Yeah, so yeah. Good. So that's sort of you know. Delicious. And then up, up north, where they come from in Voivod, in a little place called Pivnica, uh, uh, and it's a little town. Yeah. And the, the, a lot of the wet dishes come from that area. So your goulashes, you know, because you've got Hungary and so on around bordering that area. So you've got a lot of Hungarians as well. So all my cooking side of things. And then my uncle's a hairdresser, retired, or very, very semi-retired. Um, and he loves cooking. So all, everyone, my, and then uh, all their friends. So there was a, a, a Czech gent called Michael who lived in St. Kilda, who handed me his knives down when he, when he, when he passed on, you know, and... I was just surrounded by them, yeah. you know, and then grow, I grew up in Moorabbin, and my next door neighbours, it was predominantly Anglo-Australian in that area, but my next door neighbours were Greek, so I had lamb on spit yeah. every names day and Easter's, and yeah. <laughs> it was, it was for me, it was just wonderful growing up. Yeah. So that's where it really started. It was either it was either uh, uh, get into a trade and do something I I like a lot. Or I wasn't aspiring uh, to become a, a, a good soccer player, as my dad was. And, uh, you know, hopefully play for the soccer roots. Yeah. And then one day for Man U. But <laughs> that, was the, that was the plan. But unfortunately, um, it got to the point where school was just about to finish for me in year 10. And I had to make a decision and cooking was my thing. So yeah. it was always looking like it was going to be the cooking side of things. Yeah. 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 Which I love. And how do you how do you maintain that love? Because I just was speaking to a chef um, earlier, and he was talking about having to have a hip replacement and you know and, and all these things because you know it's. Um, <laughs> well, sorry, chef. <laughs> it's a hard job. 
it's a hard job and it's stressful and you know all of those things it's a, it's a different world you know lots of chefs talk about having to you know not being at um, family dues or giving up their evenings and weekends and so on so so for you to still say that you love it what 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 is it that you love about I think um, I, I love you you would you you got to be a chef that evolves. Yeah. I mean, I'm old school. So, you know, mine's always been like, you know, we, were, we, we ended up, we were chefs, we did apprentice, apprenticeships, um, and then you had your apprentices, you know, and I always, my thing is uh, the adventure of um, educating not only others uh, and, you know, people how to eat, how to taste. Uh, but, but these are all things I learned along the way as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I went to... So, so uh, it's it, and, you know, young apprentices that want to be chefs, um, I've got all the time in the world for... And I, I just like to see the, the look on people's faces, you know, when it's coming out of the kitchen. Like, these days I do a lot of private cooking. Yeah. So I go to a private private house, which I'm doing tomorrow, in Ocean Grove, and it's only six people this time. But sometimes it's 22 people. Right. But I like going out there and I watch, whether I'm in the kitchen, I watch through the, the old swinging door window and just watch how, say, for instance, you know, the Lingurian fish stew might walk through the door and then pass all the customers and they're all looking up at you and that puts a huge smile on my face thinking, you haven't even tasted it yet, yeah. but yet you can smell that and the look on your face as that's going and then when you put it, I know what I'm like. When I see something, oh, wow. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's a pub or a cafe or a fine dining restaurant. But, you know, I look at that and go, wow, that's unreal. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of thing. And, and then the education part of it is um, it gets me excited when someone's really interested. Like, like I said, I go to people's houses and I one of the first things you see is their cookbooks. Yes. And some of them are, you know, different sort of change all about it but then some of them are, you know and I know that I've got a bunch of foodies here yeah you can always convert like my youngest daughter doesn't need every all the things she's not fussy she just hasn't tried a, a few things in life and slowly we'll build the taste buds up I hated beer when I first started now I love it you know <laughs> <laughs> that's right and red wine yeah, yeah that's right oh, red wine I was like oh yeah no. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's an evolution. And we also have to um, uh, learn ourselves as well. We're learning every day. There's new things in the menu now, which sometimes I feel a little out, out of touch. I think, geez, what's that? So, you know, get on Google or go through my books and, uh, oh, yeah, right, okay, there you go. It's, it's very important. It's been a part of my life. This is the 37th year. Wow. So it's a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those aches and pains, you only feel them when you finish. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, yeah. So you would have come up through the shouty chef um, <laughs> and brigades kind of um, era, I guess starting off in hotels as well. Do you think things have changed in kitchens? I mean, you're not in Europe working in people's home kitchens now but um yeah, yeah look things have changed um, some for the good and some for I look at it this way it's always been and you know 
hope your guests don't find this wrong, but I don't like to beat around the bush. Yeah. It's a tough it's a tough gig. It doesn't mean you've got to abuse people and bully people or any of that sort of thing. But it doesn't in the peak of service like we sit here now and, and watch these in the peak of service there's not always please and thank yous and little pats on the back. Now, if I've got a sixty or seventy dollar a kilo whatever it is wagyu which I don't use because of the pricing but and and someone burns it and Joe's gonna have to sit there and wait again in our high-end restaurant uh, or even a brasserie for that matter you know I'm not going to be happy about it. Yeah. So, but it's it's not going to be you know come in and let's have a cuddle and don't worry, Joe understands that you burnt that very expensive piece of meat. You know, it's it's not how things work. You know, I always make it very clear from probably the way I've evolved, and also I make it very clear that there's not always when someone comes in for an interview, there's not always to be prepared. There's not it's tough. It's not always please and thank you, but if if you do a good job. I'll be the first to buy you a drink and say thanks to team. Because a good team you need. There's a lot of young chefs and cooks out there that, um, and I was one of them a long time ago, whack on that chef uniform with the black buttons, with the, their name on the thing there, and think everyone's got to bow down to them. Yeah. No, you earn your respect. Yeah. And the way you earn your respect is to be transparent, straight down the line, Respect your staff. Make your staff understand that sometimes they're not going to get a thank you or a please during service. Yeah. Because we have to get that out. And it's got to be... I remember working for a Michelin chef, Gary Rhodes, in London. If I can say this, I got bollocks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't bullying. It was perfection. And that's why the guy at a Michelin star, and that's why in every restaurant he worked in, but that's why it makes you determine when you come home to create better because people expect but then of course TV people say you know Master Chef or whatever oh look at that you know and then sometimes they this is what they expect all the time that's right you know what I mean yeah, so yeah. standards are, are up so that that's how I sort of um, ran my brigades whether they were small ones large ones it didn't matter if I had 20 chefs which I have in the past uh, I never bullied uh, yep, I get upset. I, I would get to the point when I came back from England. I'd get to the point where you know, if Ramsay was in the kitchen, I'd make him cry. You know, because yeah. <laughs> it, it simply was the pressure, not because I was a, a you know an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, it's, it's a thing that people behind on the other side of the fence don't see it until it happens. Yeah. I have challenged people in the past where they've said, oh, can I come and work in your kitchen, you know, and all that sort of thing. And they go through a training, and I actually do the training with them, uh, because all my stuff. And then, you know, there might be the first service, just in a cafe, and they they can't handle it. And that's that. And it sort of, in a way, proved my point. Yeah. Don't think it's that easy, because it is not. And with people opening up restaurants, they're, they're popping up everywhere. Yeah. And then closing up within... 18 months sometimes you know some of it for different reasons but a lot of it is because it's not what it seems yeah, you know? yeah. so yeah and so it's a bit to London um, at what point did you decide that you wanted to go overseas well I wanted to travel as I said when I was 17 yeah it took me another 10 years to get there <laughs> <laughs> um, 
um, it was uh, well. I, I sort of I followed a partner over there, and but it was uh, like a and, I, and a year before it was nineteen ninety six. I did around a world bit of a round a world trip. Never been overseas around. London. I was only there for a few days, and then in twelve months later, all of a sudden. I'm back there, but this time I was on a working holiday visa. So it was probably the best thing that I maybe if I did a bit of excuse me a bit earlier it would have been better. But it was still on my last year of that. I think it's an increase. I'm not too sure how it works anymore. And uh, I worked around a few places, a couple of four-star hotels as well. Um, I was hoping to. You know, I've got family in Europe in the Balkans. I was hoping to either go to Vienna or perhaps Milan or something on the continents of Europe, but it just didn't work out. Um, and uh, wanted to, didn't actually want to live work in London because I came from a city. It didn't matter how big it is; it's still a city. Yeah. And I wanted to work. I wanted to see England. Yeah. Okay. You know. And, and so I went down south to Surrey and worked in a four four star one rosette uh, hotel down there called the Burford Ridge Hotel. And uh, it's funny, 30 minutes down the road is the countryside for them, we're, we're still in the city. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and then I uh, did a bit of a trip, went to see the Rellos, and then came back. We were sort of stuck in London, and then Gary Rhodes came up and sort of never looked back. Yeah. I, I just loved it. I just loved the experience. I didn't really know who it was at the time either. It was yeah. until I sat in a office waiting for the interview looked up and he's got 10 books and it was everything that I always wanted to, to be I never ever wanted to, to it was never a job for me it was always a career based yeah. always yeah. so yeah uh, so how long did you stay there uh, two and a half years was the European trip so and the majority of that was uh, in England and uh, in London itself yeah uh, London itself, when you first get there, you, get, you find an agency in it, okay. yeah, and they find you work, as most people here as well. But then, you know, I, I don't like to just move around too much, so I wanted to settle in, and um, uh, Rhodes was where I settled in yeah. for, for, and did you, for about a year. Um, how high did you go up through the ranks? Uh, I got in there, I was a senior shift at party. Uh, I had... Uh, in charge of my uh, a, a section, so I did all the garnishes and all the compliments, and um, learned to make the best pomp hero. Wow. <laughs> you know, it was unreal. I mean, that's how particular, you yeah. know. And, and a lot of chefs uh, uh, will, will know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, there we, and everything and timing. Uh, so every section, so the fish section, we had the fish section, hot larder, cold larder. Pastry was on its own, um, and then next to me was the meat section, and we worked sort of together best. We, we would have usually two people, but there was too squishy. We started off with about 22 chefs, it, it, or 22 chefs and cooks in that kitchen when we first opened. It was called Roads in the Roads at Roads in the Square in Pimlico, and by the time I was ready to go. Because my time was, I needed it. The visa was just about to go. Probably could have got sponsorship by Gary, but I decided no, I want to go home and I want to see a bit more of Europe as well. So I didn't want to be tied in. But by the time I left, 
was um, it was 11. And that's how they sort of worked it. Get wow. more in, yeah. the strongest say. And, and, wow. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's you know some of them just drop off. Maybe you know get the sack or yeah. You know, um, yeah. It, it's as you said earlier, it's a tough gig, and once you get to that Michelin-y side of things, you know it's hard enough in a in a big bistro where they're doing 400 covers, which I've yeah. done quite a and you've got 10 staff all in a row there, and you know that that's a high pressure in that sense. But then in, in that fine dining or super fine dining, you know it's different. But it opened my eyes. That's where I got educated how to actually taste food properly. Yeah. After being a chef, ten years already. You know, no one taught me how to actually taste food. So. And what and what does that mean? Does that mean distinguishing different um, <coughs> elements and yeah. um, and then being aware of I guess what goes together or what what does that mean? It to is. It's it's food? just basically it's you know my. Uh, christening to that was one of his in his other restaurant where I was doing he did a bit of uh, induction training and his chef there Wayne uh, it, he had this stuff pig's trot with the pompura and, and a glaze I never tasted it I mean I've come from Europe and I've tasted off and all sorts of but anyway he said he ripped into it got this fork massive fork and I quite honestly I thought I'd take it like this you know? <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me or what mate <laughs> he said shove that in your mouth I looked at him and I said, I might have a big head, but I can't. I can't. Yeah, come on in. Go on. And so I did. And I was just like when you have too much of a, too much food in your mouth, you're yeah. sort of struggling to, he said, swirl it around. Yeah, right. So just like when we taste wine with the back of your tongues. And I started tasting the salts, the, you know, the, the, the sugars, the like natural sugars. It's basically breaking down in your mouth the elements and why, and and that's I've adopted that ever since with everybody. My youngest daughter, first thing she does, salt. I said you're going to be like your grandma, you know. All she does is put salt. (laughs) I said taste it first. Then you want to season. Then season. We, me and a couple of mates, I got a chef friend of mine who's uh, a chef in Berlin. And we always said, salt is your friend, but it's not a flavour, it's an enhancer. So you've got to be real careful how you, how you put these sort of things together. One of my um, chef friends from New Zealand always said to me, salt at the base, and that way it enhances it rather than makes it salty. So putting the salt in with the, when you first start the... You build it up. Yeah. It's like I was saying about uh, the pompura, the, the, the mashed potato. Yeah. Or the humble spud, you know. We used to do an emulsion. Well, I still do it, but it's an emulsion of butter, cream, and milk. You warm it up, and it's all done hot, otherwise it gets lumpy or whatever. And um, you know, a little bit of nutmeg in there, fresh is best, but if you don't, then a bit of nutmeg, that just, it just gives it... And then as we, we put the uh, already mashed potato in to get it even fluffier um, you add stew emulsion and every time you add the liquid you add a bit of a seasoning but you then fold it in and then taste and then layer it up oh. by the time it gets to the top as you said you've got probably the perfect mash and that's how everything that's how I was taught was at the base yeah you know if I'm doing a napoli sauce 
onions, everything goes in. I started off at the base, yes. and then you add it as you need. Like, yeah, yeah. It, to me, that's the way it is. Same mistakes. Some people, in recent times, I mean, each of their own, but the way I was taught, season first, then put it on the grill. Yeah. You know, a lot of people season it afterwards. I don't see how, you know, can't get in there, can't penetrate yeah. to, to, to break things down and to enhance flavours. The only thing I don't use is cooking salt because it's too, too fine. Okay. It's hard to it's hard to gauge sometimes. You know, it's very fine. It's like icing sugar, isn't it? Sort of. You, you can get a teaspoon of icing sugar and a teaspoon of regular sugar and the icing sugar one's always going to be sweeter because it's so yeah. refined. I see. You know. Yeah. So salt, wherever it's from the... They, Wherever it's from the Himalayas, or wherever it's straight from Karayo Bay over here, it was clean enough. Because they used, they used to be salt, salt pans down here. They don't, they don't use them anymore, but they used, yeah, they used to yeah. mine salt down here. There's no salt salt, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they've got that charcoal salt now, and they've got this. It, that's only really for looks. Once it's in there, and once it's cooked... Like I said, I was brought up through... Um, peasant style cooking yeah. in my childhood yeah. and there was no such thing it was just salt now, whether it's table salt or whether it was cooking salt my mum used to use a lot of cooking salt but as I grew up it was just salt in yeah. 10 kilo bags that came in and you know Gary Rhodes we didn't use any you know, Michelin star we didn't use this salt or that salt we used just salt so it, it just depends on how, how you use it you know salt is an important part of our diets so pepper it's dry it's you know white you know i mean i I like using pink pepper in pink pink peppercorns in in certain things depending on how strong because it's sweet yeah i mean all the all the foreshore here is covered in peppercorn trees which just help yourself Um, yes of course yeah um yeah the the green ones are a little bit stronger which i which i would use in a proper french style if i do pepper sauce i like doing it properly yeah Uh, and then yeah so it doesn't matter where you're getting it from. It's it's pep, you know, pepper's pepper. You know. Fascinating. Oh, supermarket's got all that. Okay, okay. Well, that's right. So I won't beat myself up about my. No, 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 no. Don't stress. No. So then, did I see you also worked in Italy? No, I didn't. I didn't actually. Oh. No, no, no. I didn't work. No, I haven't worked in Italy. Oh. Um, I have done some cooking in the Balkans, so. Oh, okay, uh, okay. With family. Yes. Um, uh, which again is very grassroots yeah yeah which I love it so you'll, if I can find it I'll show you the, the um, our videos of, of uh, what they cooked there my, my dad's side of the family uh, originate from uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina and uh, I'm non-practicing but they're the Muslim side of the family okay. the yeah. Bosnian side so they a lot of their cooking comes from the the Ottoman Empire, the, the Turks, just like a lot of that area. I mean, the, the Turks, the, the Ottomans ruled that area for 600 years. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of big influences, and from Dad's side in particular, that's where um, you know Turkish, you know, Turkish coffee, um, baklava. Uh, recently, I made an ice macadamia nut baklava, and I with a Turkish coffee ice cream. So I just turned. You know, I've used Australian ingredients, so macadamias, into a baklava, and just turned a uh, Turkish coffee into a, a nice ice cream instead of 
baklava and drinking the coffee, you're yeah, yeah. eating it. So it's great. Yeah, you know, so that, that's where those influences come from. And they also use things like thing called, uh, like in Turkey, a lot of, it's called a sash. So it's a container, quite flat. It's got a lid. You put it straight on charcoal, and then you put charcoal on top of it. So it's like a little oven. Okay. And that's where you make your burek and what we call pizza, and you can do slow cooking. Um, so it, that part of it was really interesting uh, yeah, for me. Yeah. So not didn't go there commercially to do any work, but um, just, as I said, learning every day. And it was just getting to my grassroots. Mum's side sort of covered. Dad's side never really got covered, okay, unfortunately. Okay, Yeah, yeah. And I saw on your Instagram um, that you'd visited the town... That- there were the ruins of the, that your real name comes from. Oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, well, my name's Basich. Yeah. I have changed it. it, it in the Balkans, the C usually has an accent, yeah. which is a chip. And I, when I got married, which I'm not anymore, but I, I changed it to uh, a, just an H on the end of it, just to make life a little easier yeah. all around. But pronounced, it, it's pronounced Basich. Oh yeah. And the little. Uh, where my actual grassroots from Dad comes from is called Basichi Cellar, which is yeah. Basich Village. And it's, unfortunately, because of the war and everything else, a lot of it was, as you probably saw, a lot of it was uh, ruined. It was quite, it was my first time. It was the first time I did go over there. It was only a year or so, or just after the actual war, and that area there is quite a, it's a bit of a stronghold for Wobbly the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, I finally got there. And um, it would have been good to see it in its heyday, you know. It's, now it's only got about 30 people that live there, and, uh, yeah, they've got newer style of houses. But it was interesting to see that, you know, there was a, a, a man there who was milking the cows, and he said, right, your uncle lived there, and your um, the school was there, and you know, it, I would have loved to have just been able to go there when it was all happening properly. Yeah. And they were living in these, it's just like 1500 years old, that building. Isn't that amazing? Which is amazing, you know, yeah. and, and it was all ruins. Yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely. It was the one thing, you know, so anyway. But it's interesting when you go back, because I'm first generation New Zealand, um, but my parents were. Um, their families were from Scotland and England, yeah. and, um, and and being being in Scotland, you know, but having never lived there or whatever, but just feeling like I came from there, like I just that that, that unusual sense of belonging you get where it's kind of like oh, well, I don't really know anything about this country apart from my parents are born here, um, and then just there's so much history there. I mean, obviously there's a different kind of history here that goes back many many um, centuries and hundreds of thousands of years but it's just it is interesting once you get put on those places where your family come from and you feel something I think that's really interesting yeah yeah Joe it is um, the very very first I mean I went as I said I went back to where my mum was born and my mum and uncle were born and I have I've actually but that was the first time Uh, things have changed now I didn't really get to we only spent a few hours there this time around and the, the Slovaks are a different people they're really kind and friendly uh happy people and, and and of course great cooks but i got to spend um i got to spend a little bit of time in the actual 
house where my mum and my uncle were born and grew up wow. in. And they, they give you, you go in there and everywhere that you go, they give you a little glass of rakia, which yeah. is, you know, the Balkan moonshine, which again, yeah. comes from the Turks. So you said, <laughs> oh, hell, I like it. And um, then I was, at, I was at my cousin's farm, which I've visited this time as well. And it was a Sunday, I remember, and my grandma always used to wear a little shawl and everyone rides, a, not everyone, but most people ride a bike. And they're all in their dresses, and they're all you know, sort of puffy dresses. And I remember back, this is 90, 98, I think it was, and I remember church had just finished, and they're all riding their bikes, and these little grannies, and my, it was, it was really strange, and my heart started, I was home, but this is mum's side of the home yeah. that I was with. This time round, I didn't feel as much with where Dad came from because, it's, it, again, it's in a bit of an area which is, I won't get into the politics, which is sort of still a bit dicey. But then in Montenegro, where the family all live, uh, a, a town city called Tibut, not far from Kotor and all these beautiful, beautiful, I love Montenegro. Got back from there last, uh, last September and... It, that made me, even though I wasn't in the area where Dad was born, but because they were all, because they all sort of lived together, and I felt I actually was at home. I really miss it. I felt that I really belonged, you know, and and I always I wanted to take my, my daughters as well to have a look, because my auntie's still alive, and my uncle, my uncle's ninety four years old and still kicking on, great lives, you know, because they don't even they've had wars and they don't stress. They're, 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 they're laid back. The only stress you've got is trying to get into Koto with all the tourist cars yeah. going through the tunnel of, <laughs> you know. They, and and they, they eat well. And, you know, they make... And, and nearly everything is off the, off the land as well, which is something that I... Something I love. I'm a... Well, born in Portland, but I'm a Melbourne boy. But I've worked in regions because I'm interested in what comes off the land. Yes. You know, I, I love what comes off the land. Because living in Moorabbin, we used to have a backyard, a big, big veggie, veggie garden in the backyard. So, yeah. I, you know, we had chooks and all sorts of things as well. So I love that part. You know, I love my auntie when she was stronger back then and they'd have a cow and she, the cow was milked. So we had fresh milk, untouched. It was so rich. Uh, eggs were 100% free range, not 15 minute free range. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, they'd make feta cheese, a type of feta cheese there out of, oh my goodness, you know, awesome. Yeah. I never, not tasted foods like that. Yeah. You know, it was fantastic, you know. And then my cousin, he's got a, basically a little mini winery. I'm not a big fan of homemade wines. Uh, in his shed in a room where he's got rakia and he's got he makes red wine out of a French variety grape and I'll tell you it's as good as any Merlot I've ever tasted wow. in my opinion you know yeah. I, I had fun let's <laughs> put it that way so yeah Amazing. yeah home grassroots are really important you know, yes. I know a lot of chefs that have come up through the grassroots still go to college and do all that who I think are the, probably the best you know so and, 
have you been doing the private chef thing? Um, I wish I knew about it 20 years ago. Um, the private chef thing I've been doing since about uh, 2011, so just, I was doing it sort of on and off, uh, in between head chefing and exec chefing here, uh, here and there, and um, in recent times it's gone fully with it, and it started in Melbourne, and what it is, I've got private dining, so you've got the fine dining, so we to bring that to you, you know, uh, bring a fine dining restaurant to you. Uh, so I've been doing it for yeah, 10, 11, 12 years, thereabouts. It's been great. <laughs> it's, 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 the stressful part is shopping, yeah. getting there, and that's it. Do you take your own um, cooking tools? Yeah, I always do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, the, the deal is there, you... you the, the, the guest or the, the client will order off your menu um, and then um, they have to, they set up the tables they set up the tables and then they um, we come in with the produce uh, most of it's raw, raw produce so it's actually cooked there yeah. uh, some of it you can't physically uh, you know it's got to be prepared bring it in and uh Usually you've got a pretty good kitchen to work out of, yeah. and then uh, serve it. And then I, I mean, some people are really interested. Other people aren't so interested. They've got their friends there, so they're, they're yeah. chatting away, and it's a birthday or whatever it might be. And I just, it's part of the entertainment and educating part. You know, I make it open and I'll introduce each course, and uh, they'll ask me where did it come from, and you know, and I'll let them know where things come from and, and they're really intrigued because that that part of the education too is go to a supermarket yeah it says Australian lamb and whatever but you don't really know exactly no. where it comes from yeah. you know so um, uh, mind you I learned that New Zealand has the best lamb in the world <laughs> that's right <laughs> no, no, no offence from <laughs> yeah because uh, you guys use Texel um, uh, Lambs and sheep and so on. So, oh, I know it's one of the best. So it's yeah, got a nice little amount of fat in it and everything else. Yeah, so, right. um, well, I'm pretty sure we export most of that. Yeah, well, I did see it in the freezers in um, yeah. in London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New Zealand lamb. Uh, it's a safe way that was over there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you basically you, you, you get in there and it's. I love entertaining. I love being in, in front of it and skidding. Not showing off, but I just like. You know, and then, then sometimes they have kids as well, and the kids are intrigued. And you can see this this guy come in with a chef uniform and his waiter. Sometimes, if I don't need a waiter, I do it all on my own. And you know, the last two plates I take out as well, and I do a welcoming thing, and I say, "Hey," you know, and and I'm open open a door, and if you want to ask questions, ask questions. You know, I'll answer them to the best of my ability. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of fun. I love it. Yeah, sounds good. I worked for a. Um a French chef when I was finishing off my um, my doctorate in, so a long time ago in Christchurch, and, and I would go into these fancy you know, fancy houses and, and because it was a French chef as well, all the people would be all you know. And he said to me, "Now, Joe, they basically think I'm God because I'm a French chef, and they'll be 
quite rude to you and that's exactly what happened and then this one woman said to me oh dear do you not think you're doing anything more than being a waitress whatever <laughs> it's so funny oh, yeah. but um but that was fascinating and it was you know it's a lovely thing to bring fine dining into someone's home i think it's such a treat for people to have that in their comfortable surroundings but top quality food so nice yeah they, they that, that's one thing that i get a lot of comments on where some, some people however you know like because obviously they cook a lot and they're like i don't know what to do with myself you know yeah yeah <laughs> i said no all you got to do is just relax so i, I did one for New Year's Eve uh, in uh, Torquay, actually. And do you want me to carry plates? You know, they, no, 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 because I did it myself. It's only, I think it was six or seven of them. Yeah. And I said, no, no, you just relax and let me take care of things for you, no problems. And I had the little kitties, and the kitties were, and I had these pancakes as a dessert. So there was extra, I said, here, here's some pancakes for the kids as well. I, I don't, what, it, it's very laid back. It's not stuffy. I mean, I've, I've been to some fine dining restaurants myself where, I think, yeah, food was good, but service is really stuffy. But sometimes I've noticed, especially in the 90s, I remember in the early 2000s, some of these boys and girls that work in there think, I work for, I don't know, it's just pulling a few to mine and I'm the bee's knees. Well, you're not. Yeah. You know, don't sit there pretending you are because you're not. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's waiters. See, one thing I also learned when it came to the waiting staff, that opened my eyes up when I was in Europe. When I was in at the Burford Bridge Hotel, for instance, um, my maitre d' was French, and we had another, when he was off, he had, uh, another maitre d' who was Italian. And, but these are career four right. stars, yeah. and it's a huge difference. This day and age, unfortunately, like, like if I take the waiting staff with me, I train them up. Even if it's my daughter, she's only very young and she's getting better at things. She did her first fine dining the other day with another lady and she's doing terrific. She's got to learn to carry three plates now and she's off. You know, I think it's uh, up to the owner slash managers to be able to train people. A lot of people these days just get thrown in. Oh, and this is what you do and this, you know, and that's that. We're missing a bit. We used to be really good in customer service. I think we're we're lacking in it a fair bit. We were we we're one of the Australian, New Zealand, uh, down under. We were some of the top in, in that service. Yeah. I've got to say, when I was in Europe, though, that, that the French and the Italians, when I was there, this is the late nineties, was mind-boggling. So oh, unreal, you know. And communications, even when I went off my free at them every now and then. <laughs> um, you know, we sat down, we would, back then I used to smoke, uh, have a cigarette and a glass of wine, talk about the night yeah. and where we can improve and so on and so forth. It was really, really good. And I adapted that um, when I came back as well in the kitchens that I ran. So, yeah. So with all your experience in mind, what would your advice be to a young person starting out as a chef? Um... It would have been an easy question a long time ago, but it's become a hard question now. Okay. Um, it's look at if you're if your heart's in it, it's something you really want to do, then go for it. But you have to learn to look beyond 
you know, there's a lot of TV chefs and all this sort of thing. You got to look beyond that. It's not that's TV. Everything's prepared. You know, I've been on TV, so I know how it works. So yeah. everything's prepared. So when you get into the real kitchen, as I said, to get someone like myself, you will be educated. You'll be taught. So you have to be patient. You're gonna to have to put up with a lot of rubbish, a lot of shit. Um, you won't always sit there and don't expect to go and cook steaks. You know, it, learn from the from basically the bottom. Doesn't mean you've got to be a kitchen hand. I, I wasn't a kitchen hand when I started. I got, but I was peeling carrots and peeling potatoes and saying yes, chef. And, uh, you know, start at the bottom and work your way up. You get to the top right away. It's a harder fall. So work hard, be patient, um, start your apprenticeship, do an apprenticeship, because you go through college, just like a driving lesson, you you can't just get behind a wheel and think you know the road rules, because you, you don't. Um, and stick at it, because it can take you places. Money-wise, it's a lot better than what it was back in my day, a lot better. Back in my day, if I was getting what a first year for the they were a second year, you know, I, I, I would have been driving a Mercedes Benz now, you know. Yes. So um, it's long hours. Be wary though, also, you know, because a lot of people out there do take the wee wees out of you every now and then. Uh, and when it comes to the so that abusive sounding. Try to identify that too, yeah. because there's a there's a fine line between bullying and that. And work with a chef that that is passionate. They've got to be passionate. If you don't sense that in your gut, try somewhere else. Yeah. But once you find the right place, stick at it, because it will take you places seriously. It's taken me pretty much. Well, when I say around the world, it's taken me Europe. And if I wanted to go anywhere else, I would. Yeah. And even now at my age, I'm an old bugger now, so, you know, I I could go to the Balkans there and buy a guest house and do my private dining in a guest house on the Adriatic Sea somewhere, you know, or in Sardinia on, on the Mediterranean. So, um, yeah, stick at it because it can take you a long way. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Eddie Buzzish. If you liked what you heard, you can check out all the goodness on Instagram at flirtatiousfood19. And if you'd like to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithachef.com. And I would love it if you told a friend about my chats. You can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts as well as Amazon Podcasts and Audible. (laughs) And once again, thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Bon appétit.